everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Masonophilian, where we meet the members of Masonophilia Foundation, which is a nonprofit organization dedicated to making the science of creativity more tangible and making creativity itself more accessible for everyone in all fields and from all walks of life. Today we are joined by Bruce Bateman, who considers himself a serial entrepreneur. He has co-founded several successful startups uh, and speaks publicly on such topics as cultural differences between Asia and the EU and US, as well as machine learning trends, skills needed for 2030, um, the metaverse, the future of living, elderly care, uh, the how-tos of starting a business, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I mean, the list goes on and on. Um, Bruce, it's so wonderful to have you with us today. Thank you so much. Thank you, Mary. I'm really happy to be here. You know, Sonophilias are are near and very dear to my heart, and uh, I'm very proud to be part of it. And uh, I I think it's a society, it's a group of people who actually like to think differently, and that's why I'm really excited to be here. Yeah, well, we're really excited to have you uh, as part of the, the, the foundation as well. So we can just jump right into this conversation. Um, as I mentioned, there seems to be almost too many things uh, for me to narrow down that you're involved <laughs> in. So perhaps you could do that for me. Uh, if you could sure. give us maybe so, a brief idea yeah. of your main work and kind of what makes yeah. you tick. I've successfully done about nine startups, a lot of them in the telecom world. One of the companies IPO'd, so I, I was happy there. I failed. Failing it means not getting past seed seed round or getting to an A round uh, about eight or nine times, uh, and then not ever getting seed round. Just having ideas of people across the table or getting together, having ideas, you know, writing up a business plan, but never going anywhere. Probably about another twenty plus. Uh, today I, I have three tasks. I, I wear three hats. I'm ADD, ADHD, so of course I have to keep doing things. I can't just sit around. Uh, so the first part of my job, my life, uh, Mondays, is usually uh, I mentor uh, actively about 15 startups and uh, on a monthly basis about uh, five another five startups. So I, I'm in conversation with startups from all different walks of life, from all different backgrounds, from all different uh, from machine learning to uh, VR treadmills uh, to location-based services for warehousing uh, to medical devices to uh, medical learning. So I, I enjoy talking to people. I was mentored when I was a young man and by some very well-known people. And because of their mentorship, I now want to mentor others. And so it's kind of the, the play it forward. And I hope the people who I mentor are successful and they, they you know, pay it forward uh, one day. Uh, so the other part of my job is I do a lot of uh, work and research on areas like uh, on elderly care and how the elderly will work in the metaverse or how we live in the metaverse uh, as um, yeah, how the elderly do it. and. So I'm not the I'm not the metaverse uh, gaming guy. I'm sort of the practical guy who's looking at how we think about um, how elderly people will how elderly people have taken to an iPad and to Facebook. How will that work in the next generation as we move into uh, a meta? And a metaverse, of course, is, has many definitions, and there'll be many different kinds of metaverses. Uh, but I want to fo I focus a lot on 
how do we interact? So what are the, how do we track interaction? Uh, how do we, how do we work in this environment? And how do we share things? And then how do we leave one metaverse and go to another? What happens to the currency? What happens to us? Um, so people have called me a, a new name uh, recently, and that is a ontologist uh, an innovator. Uh, and uh, an ontology is uh, the study of breaking things down to its parts. And that's really kind of who I am and what I do is I, I look at problems such as how elderly will work in the metaverse. And I think about, well, how do I get around? How do they walk? So we've got a, a VR treadmill where one of the startups is working on. And how do we work, how, able to be safe in that environment? So we're looking at some haptics companies, we're looking at some uh, uh, AR companies that look at your the, the stick of you and how your your gant or how you walk, etc. Uh, so we can look at you walking on the treadmill over a long period of time, and we can then see how you're doing. Um, and and then so there's a lot of research in, in that elderly care uh, and and how how elderly will live in the future. Uh, and then the last thing I have is a real job uh, and. Uh, I run the innovation and uh, startup platform at one of, I'm in Taiwan, in case you didn't know that. Uh, I, I've been in Taiwan for many years. I'm originally from here, went to Silicon Valley for 20 years, and then I traveled the world for another uh, 10 years living in different countries. Um, and in Taiwan, I, I work for one of the largest contract manufacturers, and I work for the chairman on looking at where technology, what technology is coming in the next three to five years. I don't want to say uh, I'm a futurist because uh, I, I know futurists and then I know the future and it's really hard to predict, but I look at really where trends are going. I don't look at the standard trends from current people. I, I sort of dig deeper. When you go deep into a technology, what an ontologist does is I look at a problem. For example, I look at smart cities and I look at traffic light problems. And I break it all the way down to the LEDs that run those traffic lights on how efficiency you make those. So those are my three roles. Uh, I can talk about it a little bit longer, but I think we have more questions. So, I mean, I was actually thinking uh, about the elderly care in uh, future, you know, the metaverse and all of that. So, I mean, I, I was wondering if maybe you could elaborate a little bit more on yeah. what you actually think would be the future. Like, what does it look like for elderly people? So the, the first one is in telemedicine. So we've been talking telemedicine since early 2000. But now, um, so one of the projects we have uh, going here is to build a, um, a chair, uh, like a 20-foot container that has all of the remote telemedicine technologies, even working on a version for your home. So taking your blood sample uh, and doing blood analysis or urine analysis, uh, looking at, of course, all your standard stuff, heart rate, EKG, ECG, all of this stuff. Um, and looking at your, being able to do remote uh, ultrasonic testing, uh, being even being able to do x-rays remotely. All that technology um, is available for a for remote diagnostics. So to me, that's the first part. And the second part, of course, will be in the transmission of the data and how the quality of that transmission goes, the safety, security of the transmission of that data. 
Uh, that's going to be the, the second most important part. Uh, and then there's the, the, the diagnostics, the cloud and, and the remote doctors. And that's actually the piece I focus on the least uh, because I think there are many professionals out there who can handle taking the data we send them and doing something with it. Now, the thing about this remote diagnostics and telemedicine, it's, it's called, you know, some people call it the Internet of Things. So it's not just your heart rate, but did you take your medicine at the right time? Did you take the right amount of medicine? How did you take them? And how did we monitor you? So now we need to monitor you. What are the technologies required to monitor you? I don't want cameras. So now we have to look at technologies like LIDAR, radar, doing time of light sensors, uh, things that can create point clouds. So I can, with high enough definition that I can see what you're doing and how you're doing it. So in your pill taking devices, I need to have sensors. I need to make sure you took the pills. I need to make sure you you have followed the pri- proper procedures. Um, so you know, one of the projects that I'm, I'm working on is in glaucoma testing and glaucoma tracking. And if you don't take the, the eye drops correctly at the right time, then your efficiency and your recovery can be up 20 to 30% less. So it's very important that, uh, you know, that patients take their, their eye drops at the right time, the right way, uh, and the right one. Uh, because uh, one of the things that people don't realize in, in glaucoma, you have different stages of glaucoma, so you're going to get different kinds of drops throughout the process. So, um, you know, how do we track that? How do we, we monetize, monitor that? Uh, I almost said the word monetize, and that's the one thing I don't like to talk about. Um, but everyone loves to talk monetize. But I like to talk about the, how do we collect that data. So, and then everybody, I, I have a, this class I do, uh, or this talk I do on, uh, I got to translate the Chinese to English. But the, it is, when you're old, who's going to take care of you? So in Asia, if you look at Japan, Korea, Taiwan, uh, even China, and in Europe, Italy and most of Europe will has the problem, which by 2030, 2035, there'll be more people over 65 than under 60, uh, over 60 than under 60. In Japan, the number right now is currently the average um, age is 62 and a half right now uh, in Japan. So they've already crossed that chasm of age. So what is going to take care? Who's going to take care of you? So is it a human? Where does that resource come from? So in Asia, we we have uh, uh, housekeeper or key, uh, healthcare workers from the Philippines, US, they, they do too. They bring healthcare workers from the Philippines or from Indonesia, Vietnam. And unfortunately, in the next six to seven years, the GDPs of those countries are gonna rise and they're not going to have the incentive to leave home anymore. So who's gonna take care of you? Oh, everybody says a robot. Well. What kind of robot is that? Is that I'm not a small guy, you know? Is that who's gonna? How's that robot gonna pick me up? Or is it only going to be a social robot? Or is it going to be a medical robot? What is that role of that? Is it gonna cook for me? Well, is my in Europe and in, in in Asia, our kitchens are much smaller than the U.S. So can a robot be in the kitchen with me, or the robots in the kitchen, no one else is? So how do we have to go back and look at architecture? We have to look about how we wire our houses, how we how we build our houses, so that because we're going to have to have sensors around our houses now. You know, we're going to have to collect all that data, and then how are we going to process that? Now? Where are we going to process it? 
Are we going to do what we call in, in the Web3 and edge compute world where everything is done privately in my house? That means I've got to have a computer big enough in my house to process my home and only send certain data up into the, the cloud uh, or certain things that I can't do in my house. It has to be set up. So how do you architecture all that? That's what my interest is. Uh, but elderly care is is a problem in all of our societies in that, that governments look at this problem and say, well, you know, 2030 is two terms away. That's, I don't know who's going to be in, in power. Is it my party or is it another party? Who's going to be in power? And so let's worry about it then. Let's let those people worry about it. But only Japan has really started to think about this problem. Korea a little bit, and, and Taiwan here, we've begun to look at, address this. And that is what is, we've got to think about how we build things, uh, how our healthcare looks, how we design products uh, that can work in this environment, in this uh, elderly care world. So and that's the, my, my early easy take on, I can do the talk for a, long, a long, much longer. Well, no, I mean, there seems to be so many factors to consider. So, uh, and I think you did a pretty good job of, uh, you know, letting us know what um, that whole field is about. So what, so you were um, previously discussing about uh, how you've started many startups and, you know, uh, some were so successful and some not so much. Um, and I mean, I just kind of wanted to ask, so relate in relation to your mentoring background for startups, as you mentioned before, what is the most essential piece of advice uh, you tend to give people who are just starting out, who are facing the challenges that you know so well? The first thing I look for in a startup is passion. So people who start companies because they found a problem somewhere in their life, they went to work and they realized that their company wasn't doing something or there wasn't something, there was, there was a service, there was a feature, there was something that's not available and they want to do a startup based on that problem. So you've got to have the, the problem statement, which is a problem that I personally want to solve or I, I've experienced. Those are the most successful. The second one is the companies that I've been involved in that have been the most successful are those that are most open, honest, and that it's more family. Here in Asia, and I've been consulting for many governments here in Asia on, on innovation and startups. And they always say, oh, can we have Silicon Valley in our country? And the answer is no. Because Silicon Valley, the companies I started uh, were, were part of in Silicon Valley, it was diversity. Uh, and we had great diversity. You would, you would hear as five or six languages in, in their startup. And, and so we had, we had diversity of backgrounds. We had diversity of, educa uh, of uh, education. We had diversity of uh, countries. Now, I will say, as I was in Silicon Valley in the early days, in the in the, in the 90s and early 2000s, uh, I was about there 20 years, um, and we weren't uh, gender, uh, uh, so much gender uh, uh, diverse. We, every company always had quite a few, probably only like 25, 30% were, you know, were female, but um, some of them were, were my, my, some of my bosses were the, the best bosses I ever had, the best mentor I had 
one of the best ones was uh, the CEO of one of my companies, the Ruckus Wireless, uh, Selena Lowe. She was probably one of the best because she was very, very honest with us and she was very direct. Um, she didn't care if we, she hurt our feelings, but because she wasn't about personality. Whenever you see uh, founders starting to bicker about each other, then you know there's a problem. Um, when they bicker about product, they bicker about approaches, that's fine. Arguing is good. Uh, never take it personally and, and always leave a smile and a hug. Uh, but to me, my advice to startups is always, number one, know your passion so that even if it's a pet walking app, which I don't like, even if it's a, you, you experience this problem, go in and then build with people that you want to be around because you're going to be around these people all day mm. and uh, you know so you need to be there you need to know them um, and that's the hard part because when you have people who are close enough to you, you can be honest with them and say we've got three days left of money yeah, that's uh that's that's why you got to be honest with everybody um i think that that is a great piece of advice um you know know your passion it's uh one line perfect exactly what one needs to know and, you know, on that note, speaking of passion, um, to what extent would you say creativity comes into play in your work? And uh, I guess, how do you get your creative juices flowing? Creativity is for people who look at a problem and see the solution. And, that, and, and I might not see what they see, but, you know, they have to then explain it. But creativity comes from... Uh, it comes from your desire to solve a problem it's you know there are artists in this world and you know i i god bless them i i'm just not one of them i have to look at the a problem and say um good i'll give you a simple one why are all those traffic lights always 60 seconds or 90 seconds right and so i see that as a problem and there's nobody there there's no traffic that means we don't have an intelligent street lamps we don't have intelligent street lights and we don't have intelligent traffic lights. And, and what I mean by intelligence is there's no cameras watching. And so if you're going to build, I, I see that. So if someone says to me, why am I stuck in traffic? Well, my answer is, well, because you don't have this, you don't have you know monitoring, you don't have traffic monitoring, you don't have anybody building a digital twin of your city to understand traffic flow. They're not sending you messages. So, you know, creativity, comes from somebody who is stuck in traffic and goes okay how do i solve this problem um, and then so usually that's the coffee you know, I, I get a lot of free coffee um and that's usually the coffee sessions of somebody says i have this you know problem and i just want to figure out how do i solve it so the person who has the idea is not the person maybe who can solve it and you don't need that person to be the person who solves it that's why it takes a team so if somebody says oh you know traffic is a problem how do I solve it? Then you need to go out and find the people. You need to go out and socialize. You need to go to events. You need to be part of a sort of building where there are people who have the, who know people who can then help you with developing the idea. Now, as part of the cultural talks that I do, I explain the difference in how Asians do innovation and how Westerners, especially EU and, and Europe, do innovation. Our education, so when I say I'm more East Asian, uh, so 
I've, I've lived in India, I've lived in Malaysia, Singapore. But if you take countries like Taiwan, um, China, uh, Korea, Japan, our education system is a very is different than the rest of the world, and it's um, it's a very structured system. It's a very uh, ranking system. It's a very individualistic system, uh, and this is why everybody comes to Asia to have things made. Is because we have the patience and detail and long working hours to work through your plan, to work through your product, and look at each detail, each resistor, each capacitor, each piece of, of, of that we that we need to build. We won't come up with the, the original idea, but we can improve your idea. That's our innovation, and our innovation is being able to say to you, well, that the, this chip or this device will work better, or this resistor will be cheaper, better temperature, etc. So that's our innovation. So when you say innovation, <clears throat> do you mean the person with the original idea, or the person who improves upon an idea, or the person who takes someone else's idea and improves upon it? So I think there's different levels of innovation, uh, and in the West, you like to come up with an original idea. And by the way, there are, people think there are no more original ideas, uh, and, and I've gone through these cycles, so I thought so too. But no, there's so many. We're at a crossroads now with the true Web three coming, not the NFTs, cyber, uh, cryptocurrency stuff in uh, Web three, but the true Web three that uh, Lee Burns talks about how data is now managed and manipulated that change will merge into the metaverse and the metaverse needs physical devices and it needs software and so innovation comes from somebody sitting in with the vr glasses and goes i don't like this and then they start thinking about how to fix it i have a one of my startups said um they're in the fashion industry and they said i can't find anybody who knows how to do a particular feature of, of, of dressmaking. And it's like, okay, then let's figure out if we can automate that. If we can create an, an algorithm to do that. If we can create some software and then find some machines to do that. So so people look at the differences between innovation. So is the person who creates a new idea the innovative one? Or is the person who takes your idea and develops an actual product, are they the innovative one? Or someone takes an idea that's completed and modifies it to a new new approach. Are they the innovative one? So, innovation to me is is not so much a a, a thought process. I mean, it is a thought process, but I I, I kind of give it bigger uh, bigger zone, area than I think a lot of people do. And I, I look at the people who can help me fix a problem as innovative. The guy who says. Oh, here's a better algorithm, or here's a better uh, chip. Um, you know, they had to think too. So that's being innovative. So innovation comes at all different levels and all different layers. And what people have to understand is, to get innovation is really getting people to be involved and really care about what they do. And and that's the that's the thing about startups. This is why startups work and enterprises fail. It's because is it a job or is this your baby? And and getting passion back into the enterprise, I think, is one of the big goals that large companies have today. Yep, that's that's what I was gonna say. That's where passion comes in, just like you were saying before. 
So, okay, Bruce, so just kind of to wrap it all up, as we're, you know, here to discuss creativity and the Sonophilia Foundation and sort of your relation with it, how has being a part of this network helped facilitate your projects and ideas? And also, I guess, what's next for you? Uh, so, you know, I, I, I've i had some great, exciting uh, activities. Uh, Matthias uh, introduced people who are doing uh, uh, 3D music instruments to me, and I provided them with some sensors to go into those musical instruments. And uh, kind of, we had a long discussion uh, on the original, um, when Ivan was doing the 3D, uh, sorry, the, the uh, AI for the music stuff, uh, you know, talking to him, working with him, uh, discussion with him, uh, not working, discussing with him. Um, it's very exciting. And I think I love the Sonophilians because you have the, 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 I'm the unstructured side. I think you have a lot of great structured people, which is good for me to listen to. And the, and the reason why I'm excited to be part of the Sonophilians is because I get to hear ideas. I get to hear approaches that I don't think about. I see a lot of things uh, more uh, from a component point of view and a lot of the dreamers above me in the song uh, in the in the stack um, I've had great conversations there with some great artists uh, and great musicians uh, these are areas that I know nothing about um, I can I can build you and I can help you 3d print a tr uh, an instrument but I wouldn't know how to play it. I don't know a C note from a D note. And, uh, you know, I can't paint a straight line. Um, and it, so those aren't my areas. My areas is in where technology can assist, how technology can provide you with better learning and better understanding. Uh, to how, for example, technology can take art and make it into, um, you know, different kinds of art and then gives you gives the artist inspiration um, you know I think that um, what Roman is doing is just incredible and I've learned a lot from that approach and how that, that approach can be used in other fields of, of getting people inspiration so um, you know as soon as um, this COVID is a little bit less um, we're, uh, you know, I'm hoping to catch up to the next uh, events in, in Salzburg or wherever they are, um, because it's, it, I enjoy the people. When I said family is the best startups I've ever been in, whenever I'm hanging around the Sonophilians, I get this family feeling that everybody just wants to chit chat. And, you know, probably one of the most fun presentations I ever gave was, uh, I think we were in Germany somewhere, I forgot. And I was like the fifth speaker and every speaker before me was talking about something cool. So I kept changing my slides and changing my slides. And, and then that we had lunch break, I kept changing my slides so that I could keep up with these people, you know, and they kept inspiring me to be, to talk about more and more, um, you know, unique stuff because I realized the audience I was talking to knew stuff. And compared to when I do a government talk, you know, um, but, you know, I just, that's why I'm excited to be part of it. And I'm excited because um, it's not just about innovation. It's also a very calming way and a calming approach. It's not about money. It's not about, hey, let's make money. 
it's really this let's be creative here and and that's the kind of soul i am i'm more about the creation and less about the monetization of it and that's what i really love about the the, the people in the in the organization is that they give me that feeling that don't think of something because you're going to make money think about something because it's a cool idea or it's it's going to help somebody so that's why yeah, yeah that's actually uh, i completely agree with that it's um there really is a family feel to it um and really i mean you <laughs> you said it perfectly um there's there's more about the using the imagination rather than um using the financial side of it i guess and so yep. yeah i think that's uh that's really important no i always say when someone comes to me and say i have a million dollar idea i ignore them because <laughs> they care about the money because they care about the money they're not asking, they're not saying i'm going to solve cancer through my algorithm they're saying oh i'm going to be rich and then i have no time for them very true yeah very true that's a great way to put it um well bruce we are going to leave it there i uh sincerely appreciate you taking the time this was really fun so thank you so much again for joining us and i believe that we will hear some more great things about you in the future thank you i appreciate it and I hope thank to see you, you guys all this fall yeah. cheers Absolutely. Thank you.